Hey, bad philosophers, and welcome to episode 14 of the podcast. Now, I do hope that you've been liking this format of me sort of ranting into the microphone here all by myself. Um, Just wanted to let you know, though, that I do eventually plan on having guests here at some point in the future once, you know, once the podcast starts getting a bit more traction so that it's actually worthwhile for guests to come on. If you want to help us get there, it would really help out if you hit that like button. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Anyways, let's just jump to the chase here. And today we're going to be talking about controversial opinions. And what we're going to be talking about is this concept or this philosophy of antinatalism. Now, antinatalism is a rejectionist philosophy. It's the belief that life itself is not necessarily worth living. If we were going to assign a motto to antinatalism, it would be something like better never to have been, that we would be better off having never existed at all. Now, before getting into the arguments about or for antinatalism, first let's define what natalism even means. The root of the word natalism comes from Latin. The word for birth there in Latin is natalis. And what we mean by natalism is the belief in procreation as being a human good, the belief in having children as not just being morally permissible, but a morally beneficial thing to do. After all, by having children, we're bringing new life into the world, and this is a wonderful thing, right? Now, a a pro-natalist would be someone who promotes childbearing and parenthood as desirable for society and for the future of humanity. And that's obvious because if we want to have a future for humanity, we need to reproduce and have children bring new people into the world. But the critical questions we might ask of a pro-natalist here are something like, is childbearing and parenthood really a good thing for society? Is life in general worth living, or is it possible that in some cases people would have been better off having never come into existence at all? And also, is it always morally acceptable to reproduce and bring more humans into the world? So an antinatalist might answer some or all of these questions in the negative. That childbearing isn't necessarily good for society. I mean, who is it good for, really? Generally, it's the parents that get the benefit of having children, and children are sort of treated as a means to an end in this regard. Another question, is life itself worth living? Well, an antinatalist would probably argue that non-existence is preferable to being born. Also, is it morally acceptable to reproduce? Well, this is the question that antinatalists are most concerned with trying to figure out an answer to. The crux of the issue is this. Is it ethical to bring a new life into this world, which is itself full of suffering? Do the goods in life outweigh the bads? And who gets to make this determination? So this is the first direction we might want to go in, determining what the value of living this human experience actually is. So what I want to turn to here is the question at hand, which is figuring out whether or not life is worth living. And what's the balance here that is sort of acceptable, say, If, say, 90% of our time is spent doing things that we don't enjoy or that we must do or generally just being miserable or anxious or upset or depressed, and then the other 10% of our life is spent having fun. I mean, on balance, does a 10% of joy and enjoyment make up for the 90% of suffering or subpar life that we might be living outside of that, those joyous moments? And maybe saying like 90% of life is suffering or joyless is a bit egregious. I mean, well, what if we say it's 50-50, 50% joy, 50% sort of misery, or maybe somewhere in between the two. 
Now, if we reflect on our own lives, how can we tally all of this up? What would be a realistic ratio between joy and misery, and what would be an acceptable ratio? This isn't necessarily easy to figure out because we're, naturally, we're quite biased towards optimism. From an evolutionary perspective, there is a selective pressure in humans who are natural optimists, reproducing more frequently probably than people who were more pessimistic. So it's important to recognize this. We might be biased in having an optimistic view of the value of our lives and life in general because we're the descendants of a bunch of optimistic people who were able to outbreed all of the pessimists. At least in theory. We're also liable to think differently about this problem at different times. If we're going through a difficult time in our lives, we might be downtrodden and hold life to be less valuable. Whereas if we're going through a happy time, we're probably more likely to be glad or happy that we do exist. We don't usually get to step back and take a macro-level picture of our lives and tally up all of the goods and the bads to arrive at an objective opinion of this overall value. We're naturally going to be skewed by what our, whatever our emotional reaction to the value of life is. We can see this at play, too, in how we naturally tend to be overly optimistic about the future. We tend to think that, you know, our lives a few years from now will be much better than they are now, but that won't always be the case. Nobody expects bad things to happen to them in the future, and we're naturally wired to sort of look on the bright side and look forward to good things happening, good things coming our way. But inevitably, bad things do happen to everyone. Just about everyone who lives will go through some degree of suffering at some point in their lives, some more than others. And this suffering could be something like a terrible illness or loss of a loved one or multiple loved ones. It could be financial ruin or just the general ups and downs of life. Everyone goes through this. And so with that, the question here is, is the inherent suffering of life really worth it? Now, this is very subjective. Different people might give different answers to this. But for these antinatalists, the big problem for them is that people who are born don't get a choice in the matter. They're sort of forced into this world, forced to live these human lives. They don't get to choose to be born or not born. By the time someone who's born gains the capacity to potentially make a choice, I mean, it's already way too late. Now, some of the time, people who are born into this human existence, they might come into a life of immense suffering. Some of the time, they might have a less terrible life or even a good life, but does the less terrible life or even does the good life itself make up for all of the suffering that everyone or most people will inevitably endure? Here, the antinatalist would say no. It's not ethical to bring a life into the world knowing that there's a strong likelihood of experiencing a lot of suffering, and suffering is just the nature of living a human life. The antinatalist approach is to say that when it comes to the choice between living a human life that's filled with suffering naturally or to have never existed, it would be, you would be better off having never existed at all. That the most ethical choice for us as human beings, as moral agents, is to voluntarily choose not to reproduce. And this is the antinatalist stance. An antinatalist is someone who's against procreation. They're against people having children, against bringing new life into this world of suffering that we all live in. By reproducing and having children, we are imposing life on a new being. We're forcing a new being to endure suffering that they never asked for. 
On the other hand, we have no moral duty to bring a non-existent being into existence. There's no harm here if we don't reproduce and if we don't have children. We don't have to reproduce. Having children is a voluntary act, and if this voluntary act brings undue harm in, in the form of imposing suffering on an unborn person or a person who's going to come into existence as a result of our actions, then it isn't morally acceptable to do this, even if this harm that's being imposed on someone comes along with some benefits attached, say the benefit of living a human life. Now for us, the living, we would be biased here in saying that life is worth living despite the suffering of it all. Because we're here, we're, we're living this human experience. We have a stake in life here, we have a stake in the matter. If we were to admit that life isn't worth living, we would be admitting that this whole arrangement is a sham, that our, our whole existence is purposeless. It would call into question why we do what we do every day, and why we go on to procreate and raise children at all, knowing full well that life itself is inherently meaningless and not worth living. Through this lens, the act of having children is in fact an act of cruelty. At least that's what the antinatalists would say. Now this is an extremely pessimistic view. The, the view that it's not morally permissible to bring a child into the world because they're bound to endure a lot of suffering, and that all of the suffering we experience in our lives makes life itself not worth living. But let's not toss out the antinatalist perspective by just rejecting this opinion. We can still sympathize with the antinatalists on moral grounds, even if we are more optimistic about the value of a human life. For argument's sake here, let's say that, on balance, life itself is worth living. Maybe it's the case that most people in their old age, they reflect on their lives and they say that, Despite all of the hardship, despite all of the suffering they've gone through in their long lives, they're happy to have lived. That they think it's better to have existed and lived the life they did than to have never existed at all. And this doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, sure, there are some good things and some bad things about life, but in the end, when we take a holistic view and look at everything from a balanced point of view, from a balanced perspective, existence itself turns out to be a worthwhile enterprise. At least that would be a less pessimistic view. After all, maybe these anti-natalist pessimists are just a depressing lot of people who fail to see the goodness that life can bring. Life is, after all, full of good things, isn't it? Now, even taking this more optimistic view of life and saying that, in most cases, human lives are really worth living, we might still have some concerns with the idea of imposing birth or imposing existence onto another being. And this is because through the act of reproducing, of bringing a new life into this world, you are imposing some harm, some suffering. And even if there's a big benefit to go along with that harm, if it's a non-consensual harm, then the harm itself isn't necessarily justifiable. And just because we all think the suffering of life is worth the good things that go along with it, that doesn't mean we have the right to impose life's suffering on others. We can't impose our beliefs about the goodness of life onto another being who's naturally, by coming into existence, going to start enduring some kind of harm, enduring some kind of suffering. As we admitted, that's just the nature of life. Now, let's look at some examples here on what types of harm can be justified, what a justifiable harm is. Say, someone has been in a car accident and you happen across the wreckage. You see this person trapped in their car, their leg pinned in the wreckage, and the car is on fire. And you can see that pretty soon here, the car, the fire is going to 
engulf this person in their car unless you act. And you know here that by acting and, say, pulling them from the wreckage of this burning vehicle, you're going to severely break their leg, let's say. But you know that it's the only way to save them from death, so you go through with it. You pull them from the wreckage. And in doing so, you break their leg, but you also save their life. Now, this is an example of what we might call a justified harm. You harmed this person by breaking their leg while pulling them from the wreckage, but in doing so, you saved them from the great harm of being burned to death. By this reasoning, we could say that the action was justified. How about another example? Say, say you know some bad person who just enjoys going around breaking people's legs. And you also know some other person who's really down on their luck, in heavy debt, and has no real future prospects in terms of, say, income potential. And you also happen to be a lawyer, and a shady lawyer at that, and you formulate some sort of secret plan. Now what you do in this scenario is, you covertly somehow arrange for this bad person to go and break the legs of your friend and rob them. But you make sure that it's all captured on video and captured in some sort of situation where there's a third party that's liable for this harm. Say it happens in some business that's supposed to be a secure place, and your friend gets their leg broken and they get robbed in this business in plain sight. Well, what happens is because it's captured on video and you're a good, shady lawyer, you make sure that your friend is able to file a lawsuit and win a huge legal settlement and get some huge financial benefit out of this whole ordeal. You carry out this plan without your friend being in the loop. They get their leg broken, but then they also receive a large financial reward for having gone through that whole ordeal. Now this probably isn't justifiable behavior. You never asked your friend if setting this whole scenario up would be okay. And even though they end up being happy with the result, it's not justifiable. If you told them what you'd done, they'd probably be horrified with you. Even if it is the case that the net result is that their life is greatly improved by having gone through the orde ordeal and won this financial settlement. Now, in the first example, we've harmed someone in order to prevent a greater harm from occurring to them, and that is justifiable. But in the second example, what we've done is we've brought harm on someone in order to provide them with some other perceived to be greater good, and we've done so without their consent. Now, is that justifiable? I think most of us would agree that doing harm to save someone from greater harm is a good thing to do. But most of us would probably disagree with the second example, that it's not alright to harm someone in order to provide them some other good, even if it's a perceived greater good. In order for someone to receive a harm that also grants them some good, that person needs to be able to consent. They need to consent to the harm. In the first example, there's hypothetical consent. We can reasonably assume that the person in the car wreck would want to be saved from death, even if it means having their leg broken. Nobody's going to wish that they had been left to be burned to death. They would gladly have their leg broken to save them from that scenario. But in the second scenario, there's just no consent at all. Both the harm and the good are being imposed on the person. Now this is the crux of the problem for the antinatalists. By reproducing, by having children, we are imposing life onto an individual that they never had the option to consent to. And this is a bad way to start life. From the very get-go, we start off life on the terms of others. We don't get to start off life on our own terms. This is morally problematic. 
Sort of like arranging to have someone's leg broken without their consent so that they can benefit financially. Now, this might sound totally ridiculous. For anyone who's watching or listening to this and living their normal lives, the idea that you would want to choose non-existence over having been born into a human life might sound absolutely absurd. But we need to realize here that we have a natural bias. We have an incentive to believe that life is worth living because we are currently alive and living it. We have skin in the game here. It's also become highly normalized in society. Everyone alive now is alive as a result of their parents reproducing. Having children is seen as a sort of a common good, something most people aspire to achieve in life. But this is just the problem with ethics. We're we're predisposed to presuming that societal norms are justified and not questioning these kinds of things. But by raising these kinds of ethical questions such as this and taking a critical perspective, we can begin to see how something as common and normalized as reproducing and having children can potentially be an ethical issue that is worth considering. Now, the antinatalist argument isn't much different than if we were that lawyer friend imposing harm on someone in order to get them some sort of a resulting benefit. We might say that if we were in our friend's position, we would want to get our leg broken and get a large financial settlement in compensation. If we were in that position, maybe that's what we would want. So we decide to choose that for our friend, impose this choice upon them for their own benefit, at least their own benefit according to us. But maybe our friend doesn't want a broken leg. Maybe they'd rather forego some financial gain in order to retain a fully functioning leg, even if the damage done was only temporary. After all, not everyone is willing to go to any lengths for money. Some people are just content with living their lives as is without thinking about financial gain too much. So I do agree with the antinatalists here that we have a consent problem. And not only do we not consent to being born at all, we also don't consent to the type of life that we get born into. Some people are born into some pretty terrible lives, and they didn't get a choice in the matter. This too is a big problem. If we were really thinking about fairness here, we would all probably agree that the most just world would be one in which any child born anywhere has all of the same opportunities and benefits as in life as any other child. You know, like, erase the discrepancy between rich and poor, between the Western world and the rest of the world, for example. Now, I guess we can deduce from this that the world is an inherently unfair place, which to me just rings in favor of the antinatalists. Yes, the world is horrifically unfair and a lot of people suffer, hence, maybe stopping having children, stopping reproducing is the right thing to do. Don't bring any more suffering into the world than we already have. Now, apart from our natural bias as living people, we're naturally going to lean towards life being worth living, despite all the negatives. We have another natural bias to contend with, and this is the natural inclination that we have towards procreating towards having children of our own. Across the world, people seem to hold the view that going on to have children and raise children is one of the most important things that they'll do with their lives. Now, there are dissenters here. There are lots of people who voluntarily, or not so voluntarily, opt out of having children. But they're generally not seen too favorably by society at large. There's this belief that people who could have children but choose not to are somehow selfish. Maybe they care about career and financial gain more than they care about having children. 
And in some ways, many ways, this is seen as wrong. And at worst, maybe that these people are somehow bad or immoral for having voluntarily chosen to not reproduce. You might hear an argument that people like this have some sort of a moral flaw to them for not having kids. They must be some nihilistic people with ulterior motives that aren't aligned with the rest of society's goals or something like that. Now, despite these dissenters, the majority of people do make childbearing a priority in their lives. Parenthood is elevated to a sort of mystical status of being the most important thing, the most noble thing that someone can do with their life. There's a problem with this too. It's a problem in that it treats children as though they're a means to an end. Say the consensus opinion is that in order to live what's perceived to be a fulfilling and meaningful life, you have to have children and raise them into successful adults. Well then, that would mean that most people are having children largely so that they can reach this goal of having a fulfilling and meaningful life for themselves. So what we end up with here is an entire society that mostly believes that life is worth living despite all of the ills, despite all of the suffering that goes along with it. And then they also believe that maybe one's greatest thing they can do with their life is to reproduce, to have and raise children of their own. And why do this? People might say it's so that their children can themselves go on to live happy and fulfilled lives, but that might not be entirely true. Parenthood might be a largely selfish endeavor because it fulfills the psychological need of being a successful human in the eyes of society, or the biological need to pass on your genes, or the economic need to have children that will grow up to take care of their parents. Also, think about the lives of children that you're bringing into the world. If you think that raising children is the most important thing you can do with your life, then that also implies that the most important thing your children can do with their lives is to raise their own children. So it's like kicking the can down the road here. You are finding fulfillment in your life by having children, and your children are finding their own fulfillment by having children of their own, and so on and so on. It's like a giant pyramid scheme. What we're saying here is that the meaning of life is to have children, and as we have those children, they need to also fulfill the meaning of their life by having children of their own. It just keeps on going. We constantly need to bring in new generations of people. And whenever this chain is broken, it's, it would be the last rung on that chain that suffers. The last generation that doesn't have children are the ones suffering the results of that. Presumably so, anyways. I mean... Because we could also ask, is, is it possible to live a fulfilling and worthwhile life without having children? Well, if we say no here, then we're kind of agreeing that life is this pyramid scheme. It's sort of a sham. Life is only worthwhile if we continue to reproduce, is what we would be saying here. But maybe life is worthwhile also without having children at all. Maybe there are fulfilling things we could do, like studying philosophy, or traveling the world, spending our time helping other people, or pursuing some other passion that we might have. So, if it were ultimately true that life is worth living without having children, then it should be permissible to not have children. And this means having children is no longer our main purpose in life, but rather just optional. And if there is, if it does turn out that there is some ambiguity here when it comes to the ethics and the consent portion of this, then Maybe the most rational thing to do would be for everyone to stop having children for the very reasons that we've just talked about, and instead go on to live fulfilling and meaningful lives without ever becoming a parent at all. 
basically just stop bringing unconsenting lives into the world because it's morally problematic to impose existence on someone. So, maybe here we all agree that life can be fulfilling and purposeful without having children. Well, if that's the case, then you don't need to have them. So in this scenario, if that is the case, then anyone who voluntarily brings a child into the world should have very good reasons for doing so. For example, the ability to guarantee that on balance, the life of that child ends up being worth living in a way that's almost indisputable. That all possible harms and suffering can be minimized as much as possible. Maybe we can call this cautious reproduction. You choose to consciously reproduce because you're pretty sure that you're able to provide a really good life to this new being that you're bringing into the world. That you're able to minimize harms and minimize suffering. I think this might help a little bit with the consent issue here. And this is in opposition towards the more unconscious form of reproduction where people just go on to have kids because they think that's what they're supposed to do because that's what everyone else is doing. We might call this view that you should be consciously and cautiously reproducing a sort of weak antinatalist position. The idea that going on to reproduce without considering the ethical problems around having children is itself an immoral act. On the other hand, if you're able to take precautions and thoroughly calculate that it's highly likely that you'll be able to deliver a life to your child that just about anyone would say is preferable to non-existence, then perhaps that's an alright thing to do. So it is a bit of a paradox here. If life is fulfilling without having children, then it becomes more difficult to justify having children because of this consent problem. The children being brought into existence can't consent to being born. Here you can live a perfectly fulfilling life without them, without bringing children into the picture. And we might say that if you do choose to go through with it and to go on to have kids, then you best have a very good reason to do so. Doing so unconsciously without considering the moral implications could be itself an immoral action. Now, on the other hand, if you say that, say, life can only be fulfilling by having children, then you're basically admitting that life is sort of, sort of a sham. That life is inherently meaningless apart from, say, the psychological or the biological need to procreate. And if that's the case, then we're in a moral conundrum here, because if we do have children to fulfill our own lives, then we're just treating those children as a means to an end rather than an end in and of themselves. And this is an act of selfishness. We're having kids for our own benefit, not for theirs. And the expectation here is that they'll need to go on to do the same with their own lives. Now, we could argue against this conclusion by saying that life is always worth living, no matter what the circumstances are. That even for a life that's filled with suffering, it's better to have existed than to have never existed at all. This would seem to suggest that being born is always a good thing. But if we do take this position, then we're saying that even the most miserable human life is worth living. Or maybe we take a more humane position and say that there are some lines here. Like if a child is born with some severe genetic abnormality and they're going to live a short life that's full of pain and suffering and little to no chance of any joy or happiness, we might say in a case like this that life wouldn't be worth living. And now we kind of go down the rabbit hole a bit. And where do we draw the lines here? It's a very slippery slope. How many scenarios can we think up where life might not be worth living? 
what is the cutoff example for a life that's worth living versus a life that's not worth living? And how can we all agree on this? Now, we can also take this a step further. If we're going to say or claim that life is almost always worth living, then shouldn't we be out there trying to maximize the amount of life that we bring into existence? Why stop at two kids? If every newly created human life is so valuable in and of itself, shouldn't it be our moral imperative as a species to maximize the number of children that we all have? Wouldn't the conclusion here be that, say, all women of childbearing age should be constantly producing new babies on an almost annual basis? If life is so valuable to live, then every child we don't have is depriving a potential human from having the wonderful experience of having a human life. Now, this isn't a very intuitive idea. The idea that it's our moral duty to have as many children as possible is just as alien to us as the idea that it's morally problematic to have any children at all. And yet, it is the case that some people arrive at either conclusion. For some reason, we don't intuitively come anywhere near these two extremes in most cases. For some reason, we are generally very content with having a couple of children, but not no children. Something in our biology seems to tell us that Life is meaningful and that having children is an important and good thing to do. And yet for some reason we don't all feel an urge to have, say, as many children as possible. In fact, in modern times, people think that having just one to two kids is perfectly fine and acceptable. And this is a lot different from most of human history where most women would have had at least five children throughout their reproductive lives and often many more than that. I guess we could say that this is a bit of an evolutionary problem. Ancient humans that didn't reproduce didn't pass on their reproduction-adverse genes. So whoever was naturally disinclined towards reproducing would have simply died off and not spread those genes to the next generation. Here, the optimists sort of win out over the pessimists. Now, everyone that's alive today, everyone listening to this podcast or watching this video, has a very long and unbroken line of ancestors that all had children. That is a fact. You wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. We are evolutionarily biased towards having children because it's happening, it's been happening for thousands and thousands of generations of which we are the beneficiaries. We are the result of all of this procreation. Now, ultimately, I understand where the antinatalists are coming from. They are concerned that we as a species are generally unconcerned with the moral implications of bringing new lives into this world. And this is something we should all be more aware of, whether we become staunch antinatalists or not. By having children, we are exposing those children to some harm, the harm of existence. And this is unavoidable by its very nature. Though we don't have to take it to such an extreme as to say that reproduction is in all cases morally impermissible. Now, do I think that the antinatalist position is correct that childbearing should not be morally acceptable? Not at all. I think that having children when done with the right intentions can be a noble act. You're bringing a life into the world and hopefully filling that life with joy and happiness. At least to me, that would be the duty of being a parent. Ideally, we want this to be as selfless as possible bringing children into the world for their own sake, not for our sake. Anything less than that toes the line of being inexcusable. 
Why bring a life into the world if you're not able to ensure that this new being has the best life possible, or at least something close to it? And this is where I take issue with pronatalists, or with those who just decide to have children because they think that that's what you're supposed to do with your adult life. I think this can lead to a lot of unnecessary suffering, and I don't agree with the view that life is always worth living. There's simply too much suffering in the world to accept that at face value. Now, maybe you're someone who thinks that it's perfectly fine or even worth it for someone to come by and break your leg as long as you get financially compensated for that act in a way that makes sense for you, that improves your life, say. But that doesn't mean that everyone would agree with this approach, or that it's right for you to impose this belief on other people. Just because you want to break your leg and say get paid a million dollars doesn't mean that other people want the same thing. So even if we do concede that life usually is worth living, that doesn't give you the right to impose life on someone else, on another being. The judgment as to whether life is or is not worth living must be made by the individual that lives that life. There is a consent problem here when it comes to having children. The child being born does not get the option to consent to coming into existence. And given all of our other ethical concerns around problems having to do with consent, I don't think this aspect of parenthood is something that should be overlooked. We are doing something without the consent of another being, and that should be taken seriously. So, when we are bringing children into the world, we need to accept that we're doing harm from the get-go. We're imposing life on another being that may or may not want that life. This is a huge responsibility that we should not take lightly. Parenthood shouldn't just be the default goal for everyone. It should be a conscious and calculated, a well-reasoned choice. It should be our duty as parents to remove as much ambiguity from this judgment as possible. To ensure that the life of the child is so good that almost any reasonable person would choose that life over no life at all. Now, in an ideal world, no child should ever have to grow up and say that they would be better off having never been born. Now, we don't live in an ideal world and it will never be perfect, but if we are going to choose parenthood, we do have a duty to try our best to make it is good as possible for those that we're imposing existence on. Now, all that said, I do have a random argument against the antinatalist view. And this either reveals life's inherent value, or it simply reveals our biased optimism towards the value of human existence. So, say we could bring it about through technology that one day we'll be able to create something like a perfect experience machine that gives the ultimate joyful and happy life to everyone who gets plugged into it. And maybe it becomes common practice that whenever a new human being is born, we just plug them into this perfect experience machine and they go on living an amazing, though artificial, life in this machine. In some virtual world. Now, I'm sure probably every reasonable person here would agree that this perfect experience machine is itself better than non-existence. Within this perfect experience machine, the person doesn't suffer or endure any undue hardship. The downsides to life have been removed. Our ethical problem around bringing a life into existence knowing that they'll endure suffering seems to disappear a bit. Maybe the consent problem even goes away entirely if we're not imposing any harm on someone if 
We know that within this perfect experience machine, they'll never suffer. They'll only go through life, a life that is happy and joyful. So here we've just solved the antinatalist problem. We don't need to stop reproducing. We just need to stop bringing new humans into this world, which is itself full of human suffering. Instead, we'll just bring them into this artificial virtual world. We'll hook them up to this perfect experience machine. And maybe one day when they're old enough to make a rational choice, we'll even give them the choice between the two options. Stay plugged into this machine, or go live a real human life in this real world that, by the way, is full of suffering, so watch out for that. Yet, I think that most of us, if given a choice between living a life within this perfect experience machine inside of this artificial world, or getting to live a real life outside of this experience machine, most of us would probably rather live a real life that involves suffering than live an artificial experience of a life filled with artificial joy and happiness. I think this is a bit of a paradox. A rational person would likely choose the experience machine over non-existence. But also, a rational person would likely choose to live a real human life over living their life inside of the experience machine. Now, the antinatalist argument is that more than likely, the rational person would choose to not exist at all rather than live a human life that involves suffering. So, who is right here? We're stuck in this conundrum. And as I said, this either tells us that living a real human existence is itself inherently valuable, or that we as human beings are just biased towards thinking that our lives have value despite all evidence to the contrary. So, which side of the fence do you fall on? Are you in the pro-natalist camp that thinks having children is always morally good, a morally good thing to do? Or are you more on the anti-natalist side, thinking that having children is not necessarily morally permissible because of this consent issue? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below, and if you haven't already, hit the like button, subscribe to the podcast, and I'll see you all in the next one.